بسم اللہ الحمد للہ وسلاۃ وسلام اللہ رسول اللہ ولا علی وصحابی اجمائین اما بعد فاؤز باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش وحلی صدری ویسر علی عمری وحل الخدم السانی قولی السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ مجیر بینسٹرز اینڈ ویلکم ٹو انادر ایپیسوڈ آف مسلم ان سائڈ ود می راجا ضیاء الحق یس ڈے ایف یو گائز ریکال وی ٹاک اباؤٹ پروفس فار گاڈ اینڈ پرائمرلی وی ٹاک اباؤٹ ٹو ایویڈینسز ون آف دیم ایف یو ریمبر واز دی فطرا آرگیومنٹ that every child is born a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, born a believer in God, and then their parents, their families, and so on, uh, make them into a Jew, a Christian, or anything else. So basically, the first people who are responsible for making our worldview are our parents. So that was the fitra argument we talked about yesterday, and we also talked about the design indicates designer argument that wherever there is a design, there has to be a designer. So we talked about that a little bit more extensively. Today, inshallah, we're going to talk about um, proofs for the Quran. Uh, I would like to thank all of you for your comments, your suggestions, uh, all of the wonderful things that you have said about the show. Uh, I may sometimes not have time to go through all of your wonderful comments and feedback, but rest assured that we do go through your feedback and we're truly pleased uh, that, alhamdulillah, these sessions are uh, being of benefit to you guys. So inshallah, let's get straight to it. Um, Let me start with an example. Now imagine that there's a new iPhone in the market and let's, let's call it the iPhone 15 because I know that we have up till the iPhone 12 so far. So imagine if it's the iPhone 15 and you gift that phone to me. Mela Spantala enabled me to see that day. Uh, everybody say, Ameen. Okay, so Alhamdulillah. So you give me the iPhone 15, but now what, what's happened is that the entire technology of the iPhone has changed. You know, it's now based upon... nanotechnology you don't know how the thing works whether it's voice activated uh, how do you have to charge it uh, and so on all of these things are very unclear so when i come home with the mobile phone i don't know how to even start this thing so i give you a call and i ask you that you know how do i turn this phone on because i i don't even know how it works so you tell me very kindly that please look at something that came along with this phone a small booklet that came along with this phone. And that booklet is known as the user manual. So I say, ah, okay, now I get it. I have to go through the user manual. So I pick up the user manual and I start uh, skimming through the pages. And it gives me a basic list of do's and don'ts. It tells me what are the do's. Uh, immediately install the latest iOS version on your phone, upgrade such and such apps, and so on and so forth. How to take care of the phone, all of those things are there. Then the don't section tells me what not to do with the phone. It tells me that the phone is not waterproof, so do not uh, throw it in water. Uh, it's not shockproof, so don't drop it from a, a high place, uh, and so on and so forth. Don't keep it on overcharging at night because that way the battery is going to get drained out and it's going to start to malfunction. So all of those things are given inside of the user manual. The question is, in order to work an iPhone 15, which user manual am I going to look for? The user manual of any mobile phone will do or the user manual of the iPhone 15? Definitely you would say that the user manual of the iPhone 15, not the user manual for a Nokia or a Samsung or any other brand. As a matter of fact, we, we need the user manual that comes from Apple and it is especially for iPhone 15. That's what I need because whoever uh, is the creator of the iPhone knows better what they've created. That's a general rule, right? Because the one who's made it knows better what's good and bad for the phone. 
Now, imagine that I take that user manual and I toss it behind my back and I say, look, I don't really care about that manual. I'm going to do whatever I feel like because this is my phone. I love this phone. I know what's best for this phone. My phone, my choice. I want to do it. So what I do is I take this phone for a bath. I give it a nice little scrub, shampoo it, condition it, all of that, put some lotion on it. And by the time I bring it out, the phone is now dead. Inna lillahi wa inna rajun. The phone is now dead. Or for example, if I like to have a cup of tea in the morning, I give a cup of tea to the mobile phone as well, or at least a few teaspoons. And that is also enough to render this phone completely and utterly useless. Now the thing is, when I did things my way, my mobile phone began to malfunction and was actually destroyed by my own actions. But if I had followed the user manual, it would have told me how to make this mobile phone last and how to keep it in check, how to keep it performing on its optimum level. In the same way, my dear brothers and sisters, we as human beings have also come with the user manual. As a matter of fact, anything that's complicated in this world, it usually comes with a user manual. Whether you want to buy a television set, it comes with a manual. Whether you buy uh, an air conditioner, a refrigerator, uh, any household appliance, you'll find it always comes with a user manual. Even if it's a little bit complicated, you'll get a user manual of how to make it work. Even nowadays, toys are coming with user manuals of how to assemble it and so on and so forth. What do you think a human being, Ashraful makhlukat, the best of creation, Allah says, that we created mankind in the best of modes. The most complicated of the creations came without a user manual? No, that's not possible. So the fact of the matter is, a user manual did come along with us. But the issue is that there are many books out there that are claiming to be that user manual. For example, the Quran claims to be that user manual. Likewise, the Bible claims to be that user manual or the Torah claims to be that user manual. Or for example, from the Hindu scripture, you have the Bhagavad Gita, the Rig Vedas. And so you have other scriptures that, that are the Buddhist scriptures. They also claim to be that user manual that will tell you how to lead your life, how to make your life work, and what would you do to make your life start to malfunction. So the thing is for us, we know as Muslims that our user manual is the Quran. But the thing is, do we have proof for it? So inshallah, today we're going to find out whether we have proof that the Quran is in fact that user manual that we should follow. So the thing is, many books out there are claiming to be that user manual, but they all can't be true. Because the thing is, each one of them is saying things that are different from one another. For example, one of them would say that once you die, you will be resurrected and uh, it will be the day of judgment. And based upon certain criteria, you will either go to heaven or you will go to hell. Another book might be saying completely the exact opposite. And another one might be saying something completely different. So the thing is, we all can't be right. As much as we want to say that, and as much as we want to believe that, that you know, no matter what you believe in, no matter what book you follow, everybody's right. No, everybody's not right. Because the fact of the matter is, what these scriptures are saying is different things on very, very basic and important uh, issues of life. On very basic. Like, for example, as basic as what happens after you die. That is something very basic because we all know that we have to die. What is going to happen afterwards? Now each book is saying something else. So we have to find out which uh, user manual is this. So from the Islamic perspective, I would say that, you know, every time you follow the user manual, every time you follow the Quran, Alhamdulillah, your life remains smooth. 
But when you leave the user manual, that's when your life begins to malfunction. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. He says that, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ بِمُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَفُونَ كَثِيرٌ That whatever of misfortune befalls you, it is because of what your hands have earned. And He, Allah, He pardons much. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that when you follow the user manual, your life will be fine. Because one of the reasons why we face difficulties and problems is because of our own wrong actions. Our own inability to follow the user manual. When you live your life according to the user manual, things are smooth. When you lead your life away from the user manual and you do your own thing, just like I ruined the phone because of my own actions, when I ruined the phone, it's not that Apple is to blame for that. It's not that the iPhone 15 manufacturers are to blame for that. No, I'm to blame for that because I refused to follow the user manual. Similarly, when we as human beings, when we as Muslims refuse to follow the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that's when life goes haywire. That's when life begins to malfunction. But when you follow the manual, alhamdulillah, things remain on course. So I'm going to give you five criteria to look for in a user manual that claims to be divine. The first one of them, and these are very logical, inshallah you will uh, agree that this is a reasonable list of demands to have. Any book out there that claims to be the user manual has to be unchanged and unaltered. A book that is unchanged and unaltered. Because if the book was altered or changed at any point in time, then that is not the user manual that was sent by God Almighty. Because then that user manual contains the word of God and it contains the word of man simultaneously, which cannot be a divine user manual that contains both uh, divine text and text that was altered and changed by human beings like me and you. So the thing is, which book right now is unaltered, unedited from the time it was revealed till to this date, the only book out there is the Quran. No other book. Even the Bible does not make that claim. You can read any exegesis of the Bible, any what we call tafsir of the Bible, and you will be exposed as to where, when, how, why certain passages from the Bible were removed, certain verses were removed, so on and so forth. So all of these things, that's why you have over 40 different versions of the Bible today. The King James Version, the Revised Standard Edition, so on and so forth. All of these different variety of versions, each one different from the other. And it's not merely a difference of translation, by the way. It's a, it's a different in the number of verses, in the number of passages, and so on. So the thing is, the only book out there right now, even from the first principle or the first uh, objective that we've uh, sort of put in front of us, is that it's only the Quran that's unchanged, unaltered. The second criteria for any book that claims to be divine is that it should be preserved in its original language. Because anything that's translated is not now in original form. Imagine now, for example, you have uh, poetry by Iqbal. Iqbal wrote poetry in the Urdu language. If you were to translate it into English, that would uh, cease to be Iqbal. Because Iqbal said it in the Urdu language. Likewise, for example, if somebody tries to uh, translate Shakespeare in the Urdu language, that's not... Shakespeare anymore. Okay, you've tried your best to kind of translate it. Each translator will try to translate in a different way. But that's still not Shakespeare because Shakespeare wrote something completely different. And it was only, its true essence was only felt in the English language. So the thing is that 
whatever scripture was revealed, it has to be preserved in its original language. And again, no scripture today makes that claim except the Quran, which was preserved in its original language of Arabic, word for word, letter for letter. So two criteria so far, unchanged and unaltered. Number two, preserved in its original language. The third criteria is that the book itself should not contain any contradictions. The book itself should not contain any contradictions. Now, when you look at the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he makes this claim that if this had been from other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, surely you would have found in it many contradictions. Meaning that at one point it's saying something and on the other point it's saying something completely different to that, completely opposite to that. Alhamdulillah, the Quran makes that claim that if it was other than it, if it was from other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you would have found in it many contradictions. But the Quran goes uh, with the same flow, keeping in mind all of these things that are not there that contradict one another. Even where in places where somebody might think that there is a contradiction, there is actually none whatsoever because uh, those things can be easily reconciled. Like for example, if I was to say to you that last night my place was robbed and the thief was dressed in black and the thief was a woman now all of these things although to somebody they might seem contradictory that okay how how come you said my uh, the thief was wearing black and then you said that was a woman okay so that can be easily reconciled it was a woman wearing black the, the thing is when sometimes people try to uh, nitpick from different scriptures you have to be consistent in terms of um, all of the things that have been mentioned in that scripture itself the fourth thing that's very important is that this book, this scripture should teach you a way of life. Meaning that the scripture cannot just give you random information about things yet not tell you anything about how to lead your life. So for example, if I have a user manual that tells me a lot about the iPhone but tells me nothing about how to use it, then that's not really a user manual. That's not really going to give you a way of life. So the thing is, any scripture that claims to be divine needs to give you a complete way of life, how to do things. And this is, alhamdulillah, also true for the Quran that it gives you a complete way of life. From the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep, all of these actions, how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how to deal with your family, friends and loved ones, um, all of these things are mentioned in the Quran and it's a guiding light for all of us. Last but not least, the book itself has to be completely authentic and true. So there might be many books out there that are authentic and true, but we don't call them divine scriptures. For example, if you have a book of the alphabets, like it has A, B, C, D, right up to Z. Is this book authentic? The answer is yes, absolutely. If you have a book that uh, gives you the digits from one to 10, and it gives you one apple, two oranges, three bananas, four this. So this book is also authentic and true, but is it giving you a way of life? Is it, number, th number three, claiming to be divinely inspired? Is it claiming to be something that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No, no book of mathematics or English language claims to be from Allah. Number two, none of these books give you a complete way of life. You know, all of your matters that are to do with people and all of your matters that are acts of worship. None of these books would do that. So the Quran, not only is it an authentic book, that was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad but it is preserved in its original language, unchanged, unaltered, unedited. And it gives you a complete way of life. A complete way of life. These are just some of the qualities that I've mentioned to you that give us reason to believe 
that the Quran is the word of God because no other scripture fits in this criteria. Now there are many other evidences, for example, there is the falsification test, which we will just briefly talk about. There is the scientific phenomena in, in the Quran as well, whereby you can look at all of those ayat that talk about natural phenomena or scientific phenomena. And, uh, you know, making this claim that how could the Prophet Muhammad 1400 years ago, وسلم, how could he have known all of this? And the Quran makes very clear claims to certain things. So we don't want to uh, push or twist or turn ayat of Quran just to please science. We don't want to do that on the one hand. On the other hand, we don't want to deny those ayat that clearly talk about certain natural phenomena. So how on earth could the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam known this 1400 years ago? This will baffle a lot of people. And the only answer, the logical, reasonable answer would be that this is something that was uh, divinely inspired. Similarly, we know from the preservation of text, how the Quran was preserved, and we have the linguistic miracle as well. All of these are things that we can look at in order to prove that the Quran is the word of God. Now, I'll just talk briefly about the falsification test because anytime anybody makes a theory or a claim, they have to provide a falsification test. Like for example, I can, I, I can make a claim that there's an old lady that lives on the moon. But the thing is, no person in the scientific community is going to take me seriously unless I provide a falsification test. For example, I tell you that, uh, okay, if you want to prove me wrong, then look at the moon at this time of the evening with this particular telescope and you will see the lady on the moon. And if you can't see her, then obviously I did not uh, speak the truth and my theory is uh, false. Now the thing is the Quran, it claims to be from Allah subhanahu wa and it also gives you falsification tests. Uh, a few of those falsification tests could be proved at the time of the Prophet Muhammad and some of them are even uh, an open challenge from the Quran to this very date. The test that could have been proved at the time of the Prophet Muhammad for example, uh, in the surah where, where Allah mentions yada abi watab, the uncle of the Prophet was mentioned in this surah that he will be destroyed and his wife will be destroyed and they will be fuel for the fire. Now, Abu Lahab who was alive at that time had about 10 years give or take to make a claim, even a false claim that you know, I accept Islam. Even if he would have said it in a in, in lying to people. Hence, Quran would have been proved wrong because the Quran made the claim that he will be in the fire. And if he claimed that he was Muslim, then how could he be thrown into the fire eternally? So that was one test that could have been uh, challenged at the time of the Prophet Another one is an ayah from the Quran where the Jews came to the Prophet and they said that we are the chosen people of Allah and uh, we are destined for paradise. So Allah revealed ayat in the Quran asking them that you know, if they, if this is what they believe in, if they believe that they are people of paradise, then tell them to ask for death. Because if you truly believe that you are, you know, a sure shot candidate for paradise and you will be there no matter what, then what are you doing on earth? Because the earth is far, 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 far less uh, important and insignificant as compared to paradise. Paradise is something that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no heart has even imagined what paradise is like. So if you are getting a better deal, then what are you doing here on planet earth? Allah subhanahu wa gave them that challenge in the Quran that tell them to ask for death. And then Allah subhanahu wa replied and said they will never ask for death because they know what their hands have earned. They will never ask for death. So even if the Jews at that time made an empty claim and said, you know what, okay fine, we'll ask for death. 
it would have proved the Quran wrong, but they never made that claim. They just simply walked away. When the Prophet Muhammad told them that Allah subhanahu wa has revealed these ayat that go ahead and ask for death. If you claim that you are chosen people of Allah and you are destined for paradise, go ahead and ask for death. But they didn't do that. They simply walked away. Which shows us that the Quran's claim was true. That they will never ask for death. Likewise, there are many other incidents that can also be pointed out. But long story short, there were certain points at the time of the Prophet Muhammad that could have been uh, falsified at that time, but that never happened. Now we have the ayah uh, ayat rather in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenged uh, the disbelievers that if you have any doubt about this Quran then bring a Quran like it okay fine you can't bring a Quran like it bring uh, one surah like it some, somewhat similar to it and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the claim that you can never do it and the punishment for those is the fire whose fuel is men and stones so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran he challenged that, that if you have if you think this is from other than Allah then bring a Quran like it if you can which is equally good in its language in its rhetoric in its uh, authenticity about events of the past in its uh, linguistic miracle bring a Quran like it and then he made the challenge even easier by saying bring a surah like it you know there are surahs in the Quran which are only three ayat like like we have three ayat so Allah Mantra said bring a surah like this and then he said you can't do it you just can't do it open challenge from Allah Mantra. and then he further made the claim that is mentioned in surah Nisa surah number 4 ayah number 82 that do they not consider the Quran carefully had it been from other than Allah they surely would have found therein many contradictions so even to this date, if you can find valid contradictions, then this is not the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There could be many people out there on uh, you know, Instagram or YouTube or Facebook that are trying to bash Islam and coming up with different things, but nobody who's an academic takes those claims seriously. Because if you want to truly find a contradiction, then you have to look at all of the verses of the Quran and, and do a comparative analysis. That is, is it really in fact a contradiction? Or is it merely an explanation of something? So all those people who sometimes might just, you know, out of their overzealous attitude might come on YouTube and start an anti-Islam channel and, you know, start bashing Islam. Really, these people are not academics. So if you want to have a genuine discussion, let's sit together and talk about it. Let's sit, sit together and find out what those contradictions are. So Allah subhanahu wa is very clear in that, that there are no contradictions in the book of Allah subhanahu wa Because the one who created the heavens and the earth, he knows what he has created and surely he cannot make mistakes. So this is why uh, we have one evidence is the falsification test. One more I'll give you inshallah and the rest you can inshallah research on your own which I spoke about earlier uh, is, the fault of, uh, is the preservation of text. Now the simple test is as follows that if you take all of the religious scriptures right now if you take all of the books that claim to be divine all of the books whether it's the Bible, it's the Torah, it's the Bhagavad Gita, it's the Quran all of these scriptures and you toss them in the ocean every single copy Every single copy, whether it's a soft copy or it's a hard copy, whatever it is, destroy all instances, destroy all existence of all divine scriptures that claim to be divine, right? If you threw all of this into the ocean, one book would come back. I ask you which book? The answer is as obvious as daylight and that is the Quran. Why, you ask, is the Quran going to come back? 
it's because it's the only book that is preserved in the hearts of mankind you might find a 7 year old boy who's memorized the quran you might find a 12 year old girl who's memorized the quran and in each and every country around the world you'll find hufaz of quran people who have memorized the quran word for word letter for letter people from china pakistan india uk us australia people who may not even understand sometimes each other's languages but when they recite the quran it is the exact same quran why is it so that the quran has become a book that is memorized by people although we know we all know how hard it can be to memorize certain things i remember growing up in um, school when i uh, was given the task to memorize uh, the 14 points of mohammad ali jinnah of qaidiyazam it was a nightmare situation to memorize those things because there are certain things that we were told okay you just have to rote memorize this it became a nightmare just to memorize 14 points yet there are people who have memorized the entire quran almost 600 pages of an entire book in a language that they probably don't even understand but when they recite it and anybody else from the world recites it it's the exact same quran this is not a genius of the muslims but rather it was what allah mentioned in the quran himself that this zikr is from allah and allah will protect it allah has taken the responsibility for it at the time of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam even non muslims would uh, unintentionally memorize the quran because the quran uh, has its own rhyme scheme qul huwallahu ahad allahu samad lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad qul a'udhu birabbin nas malikin nas ilahin nas min sharril waswasil khannas alladhi yuwaswisu fi sudurin nas min aljinnati wan nas there is a rhyme scheme to it so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the quran wa laqad yassarnal qur'ana lidhikri fa hal min mudhakir we have made the quran easy to understand and remember so there is is there anyone who will take this guidance who will pay heed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it again wa laqad yassarnal qur'ana lidhikr wa laqad yassarnal qur'ana lidhikr we have made the quran easy to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this book in such a way that it is easy for people to memorize and remember that's why there are millions of people in the world today who have the quran preserved in their hearts and they can reproduce it at any given point in time so even if you destroy all the paper scripture and the digital copies and all of those things it's still preserved in the hearts of mankind which itself speaks volumes about the quran finally guys i think something that really works for me and i find it very um inspiring is that if you've ever read a book of law if you've ever read a book of law it will be something that's very boring i mean tell any of your family members who are uh, you know studying law for example to sit you down and read a book of law and when they start reading about article 1.7.2 states that so and so and So you know it's going to put you to sleep in 5 seconds and it's going to be very tiring for you to listen to that but imagine that a young boy is reciting the Quran in such a beautiful way A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Bismillahir rahmanir rahim and you're like what is this and he tells you this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed from the Quran and then he recites a beautiful surah for you and it completely blows your mind that a book of law can be so soothing to listen to a book of law can be so beautiful can put your heart at ease this is one of the 
benefits of the Quran that when you listen to it, it soothes your heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it is hudun wa shifa wa rahma. It is guidance for you. It is shifa only ma fi sudur. It is a cure for what's, what the diseases are in your heart. And it is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So no matter which way you look at the Quran, it just blows your mind that there is no doubt, there is not even a shadow of doubt that this book is revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even for those who claim that <clears throat> the Quran is the words of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his divine wisdom made sure that the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him was an ummi, was unlettered. He did not know how to read or write. He was a prophet who was known that he cannot read or write. Yet he produced this beautiful, beautiful linguistic miracle. And so when you look at it from that perspective that uh, how could this book have come about? You look at all of the alternatives. None of them will make sense except that this was revealed by the Lord of the heavens and the earth. So my dear brothers and sisters, inshallah, I hope that uh, in today's session uh, you have understood that why do we believe that the Quran is the word of God? We have many, many, many evidences. I've tried my level best to sum up some of these arguments in about 20-25 minutes. I hope that it, it was beneficial. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to follow now in this divine user manual that has come for our own salvation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our sins and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our good deeds and may He exalt us and give us a beautiful final resting place in Jannat al-Firdaus al-Ala. Inshallah, I will see you guys uh, tomorrow. Same time, same channel. Until then, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.